0: Bringing curiosity and a willingness to be influenced, in my mind, is probably the hardest leadership practice to master, and one of the most important. To be willing to modify fundamental assumptions and points of view, to seek knowledge and data that test your assumptions, it's not human nature, but it will lead to better decisions, better debates, and much more effective conversations. I'm Jason Gore, and I'm here with Executive Coach Robert McNaughton.
1: Great, Jason. Uh, This practice is... Uh, It's so foundational and not only makes us better leaders, but, you know, this makes us better human beings in general. So I'm uh, quite excited to jump into this one with you today.
0: Indeed. You know, the cost of not doing this is really high, right? We could be heading towards a wall, you know, in a very fast moving train and someone might tell us, hey, you're going to hit that train. Um, And we're like, no, we're not but until you get curious about well, hey, what makes you think that like if we don't have that curiosity <laughs> then you know boom we head right into the wall
1: that's uh i mean that's the titanic right you know it's like uh everyone's saying it's like yeah you know we're, we're gonna sink we just ran into an iceberg and they're saying titanic can't sink
0: <laughs>
1: mm, <laughs> right. of uh, arrogance and hubris
0: right and that's you know that's really what this practice is about it's about having enough humility to stay curious, even when you have strong opinions or when you're feeling attacked and getting emotional, it's to get underneath that and stay curious about what this other person is seeing.
1: Yeah, as you know, as far as the costs, obviously there's those you know the big uh, dramatic things, but on a much more subtle, nuanced level, um, if the leader is not open to hearing perspectives and, you know, listening to others, it's quite disempowering. And the autonomy that we want to have on our team isn't going to be fostered. And the creativity that, you know, would naturally come out of that is stifled. And it's kind of just like a one-man show at the end of the day. Mm-hmm. That's exactly true. If you're
0: not willing to modify your point of view and hear things that are contrary to your point of view, people are going to stop telling you, right? And they're going to stop sharing um, information with you that that would be really helpful. You're going to be surrounded by a bunch of yes people, and then you're going to be like, well, why doesn't anybody talk to me? Like, you know, the emperor with no clothes.
1: That's right. Or it's like, uh, there's the classic one of just kind of like, why did anyone tell me that this was happening? (laughs) Right.
0: Right. And frankly, there's a, a, a place where, you know, status and hierarchy play a role, right, where you're no longer a peer, you're the CEO of a growing company, and it actually gets harder to get real feedback from the people that are underneath you, because um, you're, you have a you have much higher status than you might realize.
1: Great. So let's talk about what, what's getting in the way here. Why isn't this happening naturally?
0: <laughs> well that 's not natural, Robert, right from an evolutionary perspective, you know curiosity is not the best tool in your belt like let 's imagine two early early humans walking through the woods and a bush shakes right one runs and the other gets curious we're the descendants of the one that ran because the one that got curious has got eaten by that tiger, okay. so it, it literally like like there 's a lot in our natural biology that is intended and well, well
1: managed to be not curious. Rightfully so. Right. Yeah. From, from an evolutionary perspective, it's like uh, curiosity didn't, didn't even come online until uh, much more of our safety concerns were, were addressed and taken care of. So it makes sense that people there's a, there's a, a hierarchical way that our biology functions that mm-hmm. doesn't prioritize curiosity.
0: Yep. You know, the other thing is though, like, you know, most CEOs are usually right, right? They got to their position because they're right a lot. Um, And, you know, there's a certain point in time, though, that they're going to be wrong. And yet, you know, for most of their existence, they usually are right. So trying to convince everybody else that they're right makes a lot of sense. Yeah. Uh, At a certain point, though, you know, you hire all these people that have a lot more information than you do. And as you grow in your role, you actually don't have the
1: data. Yeah, uh, you know, philosophically, we call that the curse of knowledge, that Mm -hmm. the smarter we are, the more effective, the more successful we are, actually, the harder it is to see our blind spots.
0: Right. And so, you know, it's like, it's like, uh, from a scientific perspective, like, the, the best use of our time is trying to prove ourselves wrong. Right? You know, instead of trying to push our solution, especially when we have authority, like, we can make a call at the end of the day, but like, really allowing as much data to get into our filters as possible to make the best possible decisions is a really good idea.
1: Yeah, exactly. If, if we know that confirmation bias exists, then it's our job as leaders to role model, you know, being good scientists and like looking for ways that we're not always right, looking for when we're making assumptions and especially uh, watching for when we're getting defensive mm-hmm. and, and uh, we're feeling attacked and knowing that these are the opportunities that we need to listen more as, as one of my teachers says it's like if you think you know some something uh, you've stopped listening
0: yeah and you know strong emotions make that harder like when we feel attacked as you're saying when we feel defensive that's when that the prefrontal cortex actually goes offline literally there's less glucose less oxygen going to that thinking strategic part of the brain and going to that more primal brain that like wants to uh, maximize a fast action rather than the best action
1: right Okay, well, so let's build off of that um, historic brain that's gotten us here and uh, become more uh, curious and listen more. So let's talk about the ways that um, a leader does this well.
0: Yeah, well, first of all, I I, want to say that, you know, we can't listen all the time. There is a point in time where we have to make a call, even if it's unpopular. Um, And so for me, it's a matter of order of operations and how much energy we put into listening first before we make that decision? you know, Are we really open to modifying our point of view or are we just pushing, right? And we might push anyway at the end saying, hey, this is the call that I'm making. Like, I have the authority to make this call, but have I listened first? And am I really open to other possibilities and modifying the, my position based on that information?
1: Nice, yeah, and, and of course also, it's like we need to be proactive by asking questions. Yes, and, um, w- like expressing that we are interested in other people's opinions, not by always just sharing our own opinion, but asking questions and ferreting out the knowledge that's all around us.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's open-ended questions. It's like, not like, Robert, why do you think that's a good idea?
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> you know, it's more like, huh, what are you seeing that I'm not seeing? How did you come up with this notion? It's not matching what I would think about
1: enough about me. What do you think about me?
0: (laughs) (laughs) Uh, But really, I mean, the goal is to get ideas on the table, to get people's perspectives on the table. And then from there, move forward. And whether that's making a decision or in a conflict situation where you have opposing views, and there's some trust issues on the table, like really understanding, okay, you're pissed. What's going on for you? What are you seeing that you're uh, so upset about? Or what are you prioritizing that I'm not prioritizing, which is usually kind of, one of the core conflicts.
1: Yeah. And this can go as far as like even setting a timeline in a budget for exploratory conversations where we we're setting a specific context to actually brainstorm and explore other opinions before we go right into the, the critical discerning mindset. And,
0: you know, in negotiations and in difficult conversations where you're repairing a situation, oftentimes that's, that's the point of the conversation. Hey, let's, Let's understand where each other is coming from first in this meeting, and then we'll figure out how to move forward in another meeting. Great. Um and, in fact, you know, in terms of escalating, like if we're two executives and we have different opinions about how something should happen, in my opinion, the time to escalate is when we both can articulate the other person's perspective perfectly and we still disagree. Right? Then it's time to escalate.
1: That's right. Yeah, exactly. And that's the healthy culture that expresses itself this way when this is, it, it, it is done with excellence. This mm-hmm. is how we know that we're doing this right, is that people not only feel, feel heard uh, when their decisions are, you know, are, are coming with a, a opposing viewpoints, but there's actually space for that kind of debate, uh, for that brainstorming, and people's real creativity can be fostered this way.
0: So many of my CEO clients want to create a debate culture, and they feel like they lose it at a certain point. And, you know, it's like they want that fast, pokey thing. And what I tell them is, like, you know, you could do it inside of a small executive team, but it's really hard to do that in hierarchies. Um, You kind of have to play catch, you know, where someone throws an idea at you, you catch it and receive it, right? First, maybe play with that idea and then throw a new idea back. But if you just are kind of in a – really pokey debate that what ends up happening is status issues get in the way and people assume that you're actually not open, which might be a false assumption stylistically, Um, but but people will tend to retract a little bit.
1: Yeah. So actually the, you know, the indicators of success in doing this is that um, these debates end actually with mutual understanding. We're actually feel like it's been nourishing to get into this space. Not that we're actually more divisive afterwards.
0: Right. Um, You know, one metric would be people actually feel heard, even if you make a decision that opposes their viewpoint.
1: Yep. Um, Good. Well, let's jump into, you know, next steps. How, how can uh, leaders be experimenting with this and um, bringing this into their cultures today?
0: Yeah. Well, this is, you know, curiosity is, Innate to some people and not so innate to other people. And so the first thing is just to cultivate more openness, no matter where you are on that that range. And there is another range, right, of making decisive decisions and sharing your point of view, which is another range. Then they both have to be present. But in this one, you know, just cultivating more openness, like getting curious, like, you know, the fundamental practice is when I notice myself disagreeing rather than trying to prove my point like or when i hear a bad idea yes like look for why is this intelligent person who's sitting across the table from me having a different perspective than i have especially the more stupid i think it is like the more is like okay where is this coming from right yeah. and really like almost with a sense of humor put your own viewpoint off to the side temporarily in a good safe place just for a moment and then ask a question that isn't based on that idea but is coming from a real curiosity of like, where are you coming from? How did you arrive with this decision or this idea?
1: Yeah, exactly. And, and like for me, I've had to you know, foster, and I work on this with my clients of that, just like the canary in the coal mine. Like when I notice that I'm getting defensive, when I feel that self-righteous defensiveness happening, and I've had to learn how to recognize that within myself, what it feels like, what the sensations are. Like, I know it's like time to get curious, time yeah. to listen more. I'm feeling like I need to like tell people how right I am. Okay. <laughs> That's the, the trigger action mechanism. There is time to ask a question and learn more where they're coming from. Yep, and mine is trying.
0: When I notice myself trying in the conversation, and there's like a like a forward lean, there's a feeling of frustration, a feeling of efforting, a feeling of like not like being synced up with the people around me. Like that's when I know it's like to pause. It's a good time to pause and just move into the the place of curiosity and perspective of, like, what's happening for this other person? I'm, you know, I, I uh, remember this one debate. I was um, at the Marshall Space Center, and I was just on tour um, after some work got done there, and I went down to the propulsion lab, and um, I asked the two scientists that you know, were showing me around, you know, what are you guys arguing about right now? And they told me that they were arguing about how fuel is getting injected um, underneath the engine, right? So you have this big, basically big plane and you get fuel being pushed in. And they they were this deep argument that the science, basically these science experiments were expensive, you know, a few million bucks to, to just test their idea. And um, so I basically played traffic cop and said, hey, you know, Sam, why don't you listen to Bill for a minute? And then Bill, I'll ask you to listen to Sam. And whenever I facilitate, I always have the, more emotional person talk first because they're less able to actually hear. Of course, yeah. And, I, you know, honestly, like I would say 80% of my facilitation work in difficult conversations or conflict is just getting the two parties to listen to each other without – they're so busy trying to prove their point and store information up that they're – literally their listening is kind of offline, like walkie-talkies, you know, like you know, one-way channels.
1: Yeah. Um, The best conflict mediation skills is learning how to keep people from interrupting each other. um,
0: I mean, for me, let me just finish that story. So with Sam, I say, uh, Hey, Sam. So, you know, I I want you just to really be in this question of like, why is Bill who's really smart individual, like coming up with a very different conclusion than you are and just come from the place of curiosity. And what we end up happening in that conversation was what they realized is they were just, basically each prioritizing a different scientific approach or model. Um, you know, one was based on like fuel per square inch, and the other one was based on a, a layering concept. I don't need to get into the, the details of that. But they at the end of the conversation, they both had this bit of a aha. Like, oh, I see how you're seeing it. I still disagree. Mm-hmm. I still have my point of view. But I now see where you're coming from. And from there, you can start to get creative and start to, to build on top of each other's ideas rather than fight each other for who's right.
1: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, and I think also, you know, uh, as far as working with this one, there's, there's a real back to the basics uh, principle here of just like checking in of how resourced we are. Because when I'm stressed out is naturally going to be the time when I'm less open to mm. other opinions and when I'm going to be more defensive. And so this is yes. really basic. It's like making sure that we're getting enough sleep, making sure they're eating well and exercising. And, and uh, you, you can even tell like if you um, th- they say if you take a, a breath that lasts for at least seven seconds, our parasympathetic nervous system, the part of us that becomes more open and receptive and curious comes online because Mm -hmm. our sympathetic nervous system, the fight or flight, the thing that needs to protect us so that we survive through the winter can like say, it's like, Oh, we've got enough resource. We can Mm -hmm. actually be safe to welcome in alternative viewpoints.
0: Mm -hmm. And even if you're not resourced, just to take that one breath,
1: that's right. Like
0: you find yourself, you know, uh, mine was trying and yours was, um, what was it? Pushing. What was your, that, that thing that you noticed, Robert being defensive, being defensive, right? Like, you notice that, you catch it, and you look at the big picture and say, okay, I want to make the best possible decision here. Um, I want to collect the most information here, and just ask that open a question. And, you know, what I find is in those moments, it's hard to even think of a question. So yeah. things like, tell me more, right? What makes you think that? Where are you coming from on this? Like, right. big, wide, content-free questions are really useful because, you know, your brain isn't fully online in the first place.
1: That's right. Yeah, this this is an essential one and this is a a lifelong practice of learning how we can resource ourselves more and learning how we can recognize our self-righteous defense patterns and uh, knowing how to react to that so that we can become more curious leaders that foster more creativity and autonomy in our cultures.
0: And as you said, Robert, earlier was, it also makes us better human beings, better parents, um, better siblings, Um, you know better spouses and you know partners exactly so the key takeaway here is bringing curiosity and a willingness to be influenced is essential for good leadership for effective conversations for for life you'll make better decisions you'll have better debates and interpersonally you'll just be better and more effective in all of your conversations
1: really good stuff jason thanks for
0: this Thanks, Robert. And to all the leaders out there, we hope this conversation has been helpful.